Well, as you've heard already, quite a few people from our church family are this week either at New Wine or at Focus. And there are sort of big Christian festivals that happen. And if anyone wants to join us next year, um, then please do. It's even fun in the rain. And apparently this morning, because it was raining, they all gathered in our tent, which I'm thinking is going to be a mess when I get there later. Um, And the children were praying for our service this morning. Isn't that lovely? Um, And I'm sure the Lord has heard their prayers. I think um, God really wants to be with us this morning. So I hope that we can sort of relax as this sermon occurs and meet with our Heavenly Father. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much that we've taken the time out to be here this morning. And Lord, I want to pray that you take what's being prepared um, and make it good. Would you speak to our souls this morning? Amen. Well, I wonder what's on your to-do list this week. I wonder if I asked you to think through everything you need to do by tonight or by Wednesday, how many of you would like to just come and lie down on the mats over there? It's tough, isn't it? We live in a busy society. I recently got sucked into watching a fictional series about lawyers where each character's life is totally high-paced the whole time. They go from one stretching case to the next and their intellect is stretched, their emotions strained, they need huge amounts of stamina and the adrenaline that they seem to get is actually rather appealing because the show glorifies their over-the-top busy lives as if for every moment of action, they are saving the firm or saving their client. They enjoy being mini messiahs. The more the phone beeps, the more the meetings are interrupted, the more the emails, the more useful, productive, competent, and irreplaceable you must be. And there's something about that that's hugely attractive. To live with such purpose or usefulness to the world as these fictional lawyers is appealing. After all, God has made us to work. Working in the garden was to be rewarding, enjoyable, fulfilling, and creative. Working with a purpose existed before the fall as a beautiful part of being in God's image. Yet the corruption of this beautiful way of work has led so often to us becoming over-busy, with never a moment to pause, never time to reflect and correct, never the time to actually contemplate something being done differently, and never time to seek divine wisdom. Are we all so very frightened of stopping and finding that there's nothing next? Or finding that we don't like who we are? or finding the inevitable fragility of life itself. Quick, stop, let's bury our heads. You're getting too deep, Nicola. Quick, just turn the TV on. We live in an over-busy state, one that's inflicted upon us externally, and one that we often inflict upon ourselves internally by consuming ourselves with minor cares and concerns, or being absorbed just in things that are good in and of themselves, but 
we busy ourselves with them, like watching a silly TV show about lawyers, which I've wasted far too many hours on this week. Shame on me. Over the summer, we're continuing in our series on prayer, and today we get to take stock. We've looked at who it is that we pray to, habits to help us in praying, what actually to pray, why prayer's not always answered as we would wish, and why there are times when our prayer lives dry up. But today, we simply ask this. Have you, have I, actually prayed? Have we slowed down enough to actually pause and build our relationship with God? Can we, here in West London, slow Hybels, whose book we've been following, writes this. Authentic Christians are persons who stand apart from others, even other Christians, as though listening to a different drummer. Their character seems deeper, their ideas fresher, their spirit softer, their courage greater, their leadership stronger, their concerns wider, their compassion more genuine, and their convictions more concrete. They are joyful in spite of difficult circumstances and show wisdom beyond their years. That's because authentic Christians have stronger relationships with the Lord, relationships that are renewed every day. As the psalmist said of godly people, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. Hybels continues, Embarrassingly, few Christians ever reach this level of authenticity because most Christians allow busyness to rule the day, which, if you ask me, is the unrivaled archenemy of spiritual authenticity. Busyness is akin to something the Bible calls worldliness, getting caught up with society's agenda, objectives and activities to the neglect of walking with God. And, which Ever way you slice it, a key ingredient in authentic Christianity is time. Time for contemplation, meditation, and reflection. Unhurried, uninterrupted time. And folks, I want to be honest about how I felt when I read that. Because when I'm cynical and when I'm proud, when I don't want to face the truth... I want to say something like this. Well, that's all right for you, Mr. Hybels. You don't start your day with a three-year-old bouncing on your head at 5.30. Get them thrown into the bathroom because someone's puked all over the floor. You've then got to do the shopping, cook that meal, and sort You, Mr. Hybels, probably have a wonderfully competent wife, a highly skilled PA, and several underpastors to do a lot of the hard work for you. And of course, whether that's true or not... What is true is that it's not easier for highballs than me. I have plenty of advantages and privileges in my life. And we all have responsibility 
to connect with our Heavenly Father. Yes, there are some seasons when it will be much harder than others. Yes, there will always be demands. And yes, it will always require some work and some discipline to protect such time, whoever we are. But what does it look like to slow down and be with God? We still have to get that stuff done, right? I still have to cook the meal. The laundry still has to go on. Shopping has to be done. I ought to take some exercise. And I do have work to do. I also need to spend some quality time with my loved ones. And I need to read to Ben and Ella and Toby and make sure... And the list goes on. That stuff still needs to be done, right? Am I supposed to become like a monk? Maybe I could just let go of all my responsibilities. Actually, that sounds quite appealing today. You should see the state of my house. Anyway, um, you know, let's be escapist. Why not? Isn't that what the psalm's saying? I'll just still myself. Oh. Perhaps practice some transcendental meditation. But what do we do? How do we cut out the busyness? Well, I think our other psalm has quite a lot to say to us, Psalm 131, and you might want that open in front of you. We're going to focus on that psalm. See, the psalmist talks in verse 2 of that having stilled and quieted his soul. And the imagery here is of restful contentment. You see, when a child is going through the process of weaning, they often cry on their mum. They still want the breast milk or the bottle that she's been giving to the child. And they're quite restless and they get a bit angry when they can't have it. And the mother's sort of saying, no, you can't have it now. You're old enough now. We're going to wean you. And, and being weaned is quite challenging often for both the mother and the child or father or whoever's been feeding that child in that way. And then something happens suddenly somehow they kick into their new toddler diet and it satisfies them and the process of weaning has passed and they can sit on their mother and father's lap contented, restful. It's this beautiful imagery in this psalm of being like that child, just ah, relaxed. Well, great. Maybe that psalm was written by someone just like Hybels with loads of time on their hands. And, you know, maybe they were one of those prophets wandering around, one of those desert mystics that we hear about in the Bible. And maybe they just had all the time in the world to contemplate like that lovely child on their father's lap. Well, Nicola, you're not let off the hook there either, no. Do you know who wrote the psalm? David. King David. King David, who was a father, a ruler of a nation, a commander of an army. No, he had plenty of time. He was never busy. I'm not being sarcastic. (laughs) David's life was far from restful. He spent a lot of his time on the run as public enemy number one. He was constantly attacked by neighboring nations. He messed up big time when he got sex on the brain and had to deal with huge amounts of inner turmoil. He really messed up. He murdered, he oh, he did some awful things. His eldest son launched a coup against him and then his most trusted advisor joined him, his son, and David had to flee to the hills. Although as a shepherd boy, David had a season where he had lots of time to cultivate a great relationship with God. The big big chunks of his life, 
He was a hugely busy man. So somehow, the inner peace being described in this psalm is not like the image we get from transcendental meditation or living in solitude at a monastery. Those images need to go from our heads to get around what's going on in this psalm. David's focus in the psalm is also not on himself as such, but upon the Lord. You see, we cannot save ourselves, but we can look to a saviour, which is why the psalm starts and ends with the Lord. David's inner peace only means anything in the context of his relationship with the Lord, the God who created the universe and revealed himself through the Bible. Josh Bailey, in an extremely helpful sermon, which I've nicked some bits from, says this, What David is talking about is resting in the Lord whilst coping with all the stuff he actually went through. It isn't a psalm written from an ivory tower that we can relegate to describing someone with too much time on their hands. Rather, this psalm is describing the goal for any Christian battling on with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through all the surging storms of our external circumstances. It talks about an even footing inside, even when everything around us is unstable and frenetic. Somehow, David kept the busyness outside while his soul was quiet inside. And folks, that's the kind of peace that is attainable for us here in West London. And it's an extremely attractive peace for our world. So how did David achieve this? Well, firstly, it's worth noting then that David, being such a busy man, didn't have hours of time for contemplation. Hours of quiet are not necessary to achieve this. Rather, a regular and honest interacting with God is what is required. Those of you who've known me over the past sort of three and a half years that we've been here at Christchurch will know that I have a tendency to worry constantly about my children. It's a bit of a sin and I'm trying to work on it. But sometimes I get so overwhelmed by all their needs and all the potential little things that are worrying me like, oh my goodness, you can't ride a bike yet or oh, have we done that reading and oh, you know, all those kind of crazy, really quite minute things that will consume me in worry. Um, means that I actually often get so overwhelmed by the amount I need to pray for them that I'm so busy that I don't even pray for them at all. And I got called short recently when a um, person prayed for me at a conference, really kind of them, and um, he said something like this. He was a pastor. He said, Nicola, you need to pray one minute a day for each child. That's three minutes. And chill out. That is enough. Three minutes of honest prayer before your Father God and pray about the things that really matter. Pray for their salvation. Pray that if they so desire and it's the Lord's will that they find the right partner in life and pray that they have the courage to follow God's will for them. Those three things. That's what's important. doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. And it doesn't, not for all eternity. Three minutes of honest prayer not necessarily hours of contemplation. 
So taking the time to connect with God doesn't need to look like an overwhelming task for us. But secondly, David does something also really important to help gain this inner peace and connect with God. He ensures that his relationship with the Lord is a correct one. So in verse 1, he says, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Being proud is having a high view of ourselves and a low view of God and others. Pride disturbs our peace. Proud hearts lead to haughty eyes. Eyes in the psalm indicates where our hearts are looking to get our desires met. And often, we break it down in our sinfulness. We say to God things like, Come on, God, you are not doing your job right. Why am I still sick? God, you are not doing your job right. My stocks went down. God, you are not doing your job right. This world is a mess. And basically, we are saying, off your throne, God. I'm hopping on. And so David pauses a moment as the king of Israel with ginormous weight of responsibility upon his shoulders and says, I am not so proud. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Folks, David is not saying leave your intellect at the door when you talk with God. Oh no, the Lord has given us our brains and he wants us to use them. But what he is saying is how much of what you and I get churned up about is God's responsibility or our responsibility. Because many of us busy our souls by overreaching in our hearts beyond what God wants us to carry. David slows down enough to acknowledge his place as a creature and God's place as the true king. Can we actually plan the next 20 years of our career? We can't actually be responsible to how our friend will respond when we invite them to Alpha. We only invite. So David doesn't spend hours, but he spends deep, protected moments with the Lord. He gets his relationship with the Lord in the right place. God's his creator. He's the creature. And then he says to the Lord, you know, these things are your concerns. What is it that you want of me? And that's a prayer all of us have to keep on praying. The Bible's not descriptive about what are David's responsibilities and what are the Lord's. Because for each of us today, that will differ. But for many of us, I would like to suggest 
that we over-busy our souls by overreaching instead of surrendering to our loving God. We need to be careful, though, that we don't then go from being frenetic to throwing in the towel and not doing anything. We have, after all, been given some responsibility. There are things that need to be done. God delights in using us, and we are fulfilled when we use our gifts and talents for him. But we need to reach the place of verse 2. Prayer becomes the activity of our soul's rest. And so as we have God in his right place and us in our right place, we pray to our God about all our cares and concerns. And David says, I've stilled my soul. In the English, it seems like it's a task that's been completed, but it's much more like he's entering into the long-haul battle of determining to be with God. Of course our souls will be restless in this world, but we can keep our anxieties in check by being with God. And again, I found it really helpful in Josh Bailey's sermon when he said um, that David is like no longer a baby just demanding things of God, you know, feed me, change my nappy, do this for me. But rather, it's just like this toddler. This is perfect, absolutely perfect. David is like this, getting on with her own thing, Knowing, though, that someone else is really in charge. (laughs) Knowing that when that happens, she's going to get picked up. And that toddler will not go long before returning for a quick hug with mum or dad. And so we are to be, getting on, busily, enjoying creation and being creative knowing that God is in charge and not going too long before hopping on his lap. Resting in his peace. Time with our Father is good for our souls. It recalibrates us. And folks, the enemy wants to do anything to stop you being rested in God. And so he lies to you and he tells you it's going to be a chore. Oh, I've got to set my alarm clock for 6.30. Better read the passage of the Bible. Right, God, I just pray for all this stuff going on in the world right now. Pray for Syria, pray for my husband, pray for Chiswick, pray amen, you know. No! Doesn't have to be like that. We make it like that because we get overwhelmed with our own priorities and concerns. No, spending a few honest moments with the Lord each day truly recalibrates us. It is a blessing. I promise you, give the Lord one lunchtime this week. See what a difference it makes as you allow his peace to enter into you. And finally, you know, ambition and work, as I've been trying to stress through this talk, is not um, an evil thing in and of itself at all. And ambition is a healthy thing, too, if it's right. And verse 3 gives us a sure and certain ambition to hold on to, and it's this, hope always in the Lord. Be ambitious in your hoping in the Lord. 
Set your goal, set your sights on an eternity of wonderfulness with the Lord. Because discovering God more and more has no limits. It will extend beyond the grave and will be ultimately the most fulfilling task we engage in. And I finish up, C.S. Lewis writes in The Last Battle. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Oh God, would you by your Holy Spirit etch that with great conviction on our hearts today, that it transforms how we think and act this week and beyond. Let's just take a moment not to try and engage ourselves or challenge ourselves into more self-discipline, but just right now to hop on the lap of your Heavenly Father and rest in him. Hear his delight in you and his words of love for you. However far you have strayed, even if it was as far as King David or further, he still loves you and welcomes you with open arms. He delights in the way he's created you, in the way you think. I pray this week that you and I would slow down enough to enjoy that relationship with our wonderful creator. Amen.